guys, my name is Eden Richardson. I'm the Discipleship Director here at First Baptist Rock Hill. We are so excited that you have tuned in for this week's sermon from our pastor. We pray that it encourages, challenges, and inspires you as you listen. Also, be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel for all future sermons and events that happen at our church. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy this special message. Well, happy rainy Sunday morning. It's good to be here. Today we're going to be talking about baptism and church membership, so I invite you to go ahead and open your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 2 in the New Testament, the book of Acts, chapter 2 in your New Testament, and they'll be bringing the lights up so you can see to read with us here in a moment. But also, I think it was mentioned during the welcome, there's this card, an information card, a commitment card in the pouch on the back of the chair immediately in front of you so I encourage you to go ahead and get that out if you haven't already and hold on to it and to get something to write with right now as well an ink pen or something um, thinking about baptism and church membership I was looking back on my own journey as many of you know I did not grow up attending church I was a sophomore in high school the first time I ever went to church it was on a Monday night, they were having revival services, and I rode a church van because in geometry class that afternoon, Evelyn said, if you come tonight, you can sit with me, so I went. I was really spiritually motivated. <laughs> but everything changed, and I kept going, and of course, you know, follower of Christ, and that was in October, and then in January of my sophomore year, 1974, I joined the church, and and I was baptized. And that was a big deal for me because growing up, I had a crippling shyness. And, and to even make the decision to go to church the first time was a really big deal for me. I had overcome a lot of emotional um, barriers that, that were hindering me. And, and joining the church, I mean, that was a big, big deal. It is for all of us. It, it, it should be because it's a really important thing and and I imagine there are some in this room like me you did not grow up attending church however probably the majority of you did grow up attending church and I want you to think back to your journey did you grow up in church or not how old were you when you committed your life to Jesus and became a believer if you've already done that or not when were you baptized when, how old were you the first time you joined the church when you first joined the church how old were you so sort of get that in your mind let's have a little fun right now okay uh, get a little exercise burn off about five calories um, if you grew up attending church would you stand up for just a moment if you grew up attending church stand up wow look around the room that's the overwhelming majority, and that's been true in all three services. You need to be thankful for your family, for your parents who took you to church. This also illustrates why it's important for us to take our kids to church when they're growing up. Thank you, and you can be seated. Now, how many of you are like me, you know, the pagans of the, of the church? We, we didn't grow up going to church. If you, if you didn't grow up going to church but started later in life, whether it was as an older child or a teenager or an adult, you're like me. Would you stand right now? Come on, stand up. Join me. Join me. Amen. I, I, I believe you're like me. We are thankful for the people who did tell us about Jesus and invited us to church. Thank you so much. And by the way, I hadn't heard that in a long time. Oh, man. Well, let's, 
how old how old were you when you joined the church the first time okay you you accepted christ you were baptized you joined the church how old were you okay i was i was uh, 16 I just turned 16 as a sophomore uh, how old were you? All of you, if you were 12 or younger, 12 or younger when you joined the church, would you stand up right now? Go ahead. Wow, look around. That's why these children's ministries matter and not just having activities for fun, but actually discipling kids, more important. All right, thank you. You can be sitting. If you were a teenager like me when you joined the church, would you stand? Amen. See, Grant and Cole makes a difference thank you so much if you were in your 20s or 30s when you joined the church please stand 20s or 30s amen aren't you so glad somebody shared the gospel with you all right thank you if you were in your 40s or older when you first joined the church would you stand 40s or older i see you i I, I see you thank you did you notice the pattern did you notice the pattern Younger matters. That's why parents, when you're raising your kids, if you think, well, you know, we're going to get them through school, we're going to get them into sports, we're going to do all this, we're going to do that, and then later get them serious about Jesus, you are blowing it. The longer someone waits, the harder it becomes to get involved in church, to become a disciple, to be saved. But let me also say this. If all of us obeyed Jesus' command and actually shared the gospel and witnessed to people and invited people to church, there would be more people standing who were saved as adults than stood this morning. So we need to be sharing the gospel with people who've never been to church, with people who are in their 20s, their 30s, their 50s, their 60s, their 70s. Because some of them will become believers. So today I want to talk about baptism and church membership. And the setting, the context for what we're going to read in chapter 2 of Acts is uh, Jesus has recently ascended to the Father, gone back to heaven following his crucifixion and resurrection. And all of his believers, all of his early believers, disciples, are together in a large room in the city of Jerusalem, and it's the Jewish festival called Pentecost. That was one of three festivals when Jews from all over the country would do a make a, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for that religious holiday. And so the city of Jerusalem was crowded. And Jesus had told his followers to, to stay together in one place and pray and wait until the Holy Spirit came. Because until then, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and left, came and went, came and went. But at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and stayed. So that now when you accept Christ, you become a believer, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he's there permanently. He stays. All started at Pentecost. And so the Holy Spirit comes, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and they're speaking to people and, about Jesus, and Peter, on behalf of the, of, the, of the group of the church, preaches. There's a large crowd, and a large number of people are saved. And that's where we pick up the story 
in chapter 2 of Acts at verse 37. The Bible says, now when they heard this, they heard Peter's sermon, his message about Jesus being crucified. They were pierced to the heart, in the heart. They were, they were convicted of their sin and their need for Christ. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter answered, said to them, repent. Turn from your sin, repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. Everyone who's far away from Jesus, who's far off from God, the gospel is for everyone. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Verse 40. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. He kept on preaching to them to get saved. Verse 41, and so then, those who had received his word, those who heard the message and they responded to it in obedience, they believed, repented of their sin, committed their lives to Christ, they were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls or 3,000 persons baptized and added to the church there in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus said, I will build my church. What we have just seen in chapter 2 is that actually becoming reality. This is the very first church in the New Testament. They're in the city of Jerusalem. These are the very first members of the very first church. Notice the sequencing. They heard the gospel. They heard the message. They responded to it. They received it. They they welcomed it. They obeyed it. They, They repented of their sin and became followers of Christ. And then they were baptized. And that day, 3,000 of them added to that church. So let's talk about baptism and church membership. Now, today's message will be a little bit different. It's going to be kind of a a summary teaching. I don't have time to develop a lot of verses, just kind of a summation of of teaching about baptism and membership. It's going to be pretty basic, pretty simple, pretty practical, but I hope very, very clear and answer some questions you may have. So let's talk about baptism first. A lot of questions, a lot of discussion about baptism. Who is supposed to be baptized? What age is someone supposed to be baptized? Is it when you're an infant or some other time? A child, teenager, adult, when? All of that. What is the mode of baptism, the method? How are you baptized? Is it like we do up here in the baptistry where we take you all the way under the water, which is called immersion? Or is it through pouring water on someone's head, sprinkling? Does that even matter how you do it? Does it even matter when you do it? Does that even matter? There's a phrase we use which summarizes what we believe the New Testament teaches about all this. That phrase is believers, baptism by immersion. Believers, baptism by immersion. Say that with me. Okay, you ready? Believers, baptism by immersion. Say it again. Believers, baptism by immersion. What do we mean by all of that? 
Let's start with believer's baptism. Believer's baptism means that baptism is for believers only. That someone is to be a believer, himself or herself, before he or she is baptized. The pattern here was they heard the word, responded to it. They believed. Then they were baptized. Then they were added to the church. So the first question you need to ask and answer in your own life is, have you believed? Have you heard the gospel? Have you heard the message of Christ? And have you committed yourself to Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sin and been forgiven? Are you saved? Are you a follower of Jesus? And in the Bible, belief or faith is commitment. It's believing it enough that you act on what you say you believe. You trust. Have you seen some of those videos on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok? Of, you know, the, these videos of, 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 of usually they're, they're young people, teenagers or young adults, and they, they haven't ridden roller coasters before. And they get on one and there's this video and, they're, and they get strapped in and they're nervous. And then that video takes off. And by the way, roller coasters, you know, roller coasters do the loopy loops. Yeah, that's boring. I want the big, tall, steep drop. That's the fun ones. The steeper the drop, the better. I want to feel my stomach coming out. And so you see these videos all the time. Of, of, of people and they're 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 in in the roller coaster and the bar comes down over their shoulders and across their belt they're locked in and all of a sudden it starts and they begin to scream bloody murder and they're scared to death some of them even pass out i love those videos <laughs> what does it mean to believe you're locked in and there's no getting out you're taking the ride with Jesus for the rest of your life. Belief is not simply in your mind acknowledging, oh, I think there's a God or I believe Jesus was real. I mean, it's a commitment. It's believing enough that you pull the bars down over your shoulders, you put the belt around your lap, and you're riding with Jesus till the day you see him in heaven. That's belief. That's faith. It's a commitment to Jesus Christ. To be saved, to be forgiven, to follow him. You won't always do it perfectly, but there's that commitment that never leaves you. You never let go of. That's faith. That's belief. Now, baptism is for people who believe. Believer's baptism. Belief comes first, then baptism. Baptism does not save anybody. Baptism doesn't take anybody to heaven. Baptism doesn't give anyone eternal life. Baptism doesn't wash away anyone's sin. It's like that old hymn that has been sung for generations. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's it. Jesus' death on the cross, making atonement for your sin, paying the penalty for your sin is the only way your sin can be washed away. And that happens when you give your life to Christ. Baptism doesn't do that. Peter's second sermon, what we just read a moment ago, was his first sermon. His second sermon happened a few days later over in chapter 3. And look at one verse in that sermon, verse 19 of chapter 3. Therefore, Peter said, repent. Repent. 
and return so that your sins may be wiped away. See, when you repent of your sin and confess Jesus, when you give your life to him, that's when his blood washes away your sin, cleanses you. And I point that out because sometimes somebody will use the verse in chapter 2 to say, see, it's repentance and baptism that saves you. No, because overwhelmingly in the New Testament when it talks about salvation and forgiveness, it just talks about repentance and faith and commitment, not baptism. Baptism is sometimes used in some verses because baptism is so closely associated with salvation. In other words, once you're saved, the next thing you're going to do is be baptized. You're going to be saved and then you're going to be baptized. And the idea of getting saved and becoming a follower of Jesus and waiting 20, 30 years to be baptized, some people do that, but that is not the New Testament pattern. So that's believer's baptism. It's for believers. It's not about infants or adults. The age is not the issue. That's not the issue. The issue is, are you already a believer? But the second part of that phrase, believer's baptism by immersion, all the way under. Why do we do that, and does it matter? Why do we not pour? Why do we not sprinkle? Let me give you three reasons. One is the, the definition of the word your new testament was written in greek the original new testament every book of it written in greek it's translated into our language english the word baptize or baptism in english comes from the greek root word bapto which means to 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 dip in to 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 submerge in to plunge in if you will under to dip in to dip under the word for baptize or baptism is baptizo and baptizo means to immerse in 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 greek it's used of a ship that would sink in the mediterranean sea it was baptizo it was it sank that's immersion that's the word it's you you to to sink down in mud, for instance. You're walking, you're sinking mud. I remember back in the nineties, Moniz and I were were in Alaska and uh, we were we were walking up to the face of a glacier, walking on snow, and we're walking up to this glacier, and all of a sudden I just sink in the snow up to my hip. <laughs> That's immersion. That's, that's baptism, okay? You're going in, you're going down, you're going under. That's what the word means. That's the definition of the word. That's one reason we practice immersion. A second reason is the practice of the early church. The practice that we find in the New Testament. Sprinkling, pouring, infant baptism developed later. That's not what happened in the early years of the church. John Calvin, the father of Reformed theology in the Presbyterian church. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist church and the Wesleyan church and that movement. Martin Luther, the, the father of the Lutheran church. In their own writings, all acknowledge that in the New Testament and in the early days of the church, the practice was baptism by immersion. They all acknowledge that. Not one of them argues with it. They give different reasons for continuing infant baptism 
and pouring, but they all acknowledged what the first Christians did, what the early church did, was immersion. Well, I'm going to stick with what the early church did and what the New Testament did. Immersion, that was the practice. The third reason is the picture. The picture that baptism paints. Baptism is a symbol. It paints a picture. It marks you. It identifies you as a follower of Christ. This ring on my finger, this wedding band, this does not make me a husband. I don't wear this to become a husband. I wear this because I am one. This marks me. It identifies me as a married man. Baptism publicly marks you, identifies you, brands you as someone who has made a public commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. It doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't save you, but it brands you. It's the way you witness to the world that you are following Christ. And if you want to know why you should be baptized, one reason is to give public testimony to your faith in Jesus so that you're not trying to be a secret disciple. You take a very public stand as a person of faith in Christ. You're baptized because that's what happened in the New Testament when someone got saved. You're baptized as an act of obedience Jesus set the example in the Jordan River when he was baptized. Gave us the command to go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of every nation, of every ethnic group, baptize them, and then teach them to observe, to do what I've taught you. You can't obey Jesus in helping others experience that until you obey him and do it in your own life. And so when you become a disciple and are baptized, you're obeying Jesus Christ, both his commands and his example. So, number one, have you repented of your sin and committed your life to Jesus? Are you saved? Have you been forgiven? If not, I'm asking you to do that today. And if you have done that, have you been baptized as a believer by immersion? If not, I'm inviting you to make that decision today to be baptized by immersion. Now, real quickly, I'll say less about this. I want to talk about church membership real quickly. Look at verse 41. Verse 41. So, and this is in chapter 2. So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls, 3,000 people. What were they added to? This new church there in Jerusalem. This new church. Then in verse 47, there's a summary verse of what was happening in these early days of that church in Jerusalem. They were together, and it says in verse 47, they were praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. They kept track. A few days later, you jump over to, um, to chapter 4. And in verse 4 of chapter 4, but many of those who had heard the message 
There's that pattern again. They hear the gospel, whether it's through a sermon, a, a small group lesson, one-on-one conversation, reading a book or a track, listening to the radio, watching television. However, you hear the message, you hear it, and then they believed. Hear the word? Believe? And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. This was the fastest growing church in the history of Christianity. The very, think about this. The very first church was a big church. They've gone from that first day of having 3,000 people saved and baptized and come become part of the church. Now, sometime later, there's 5,000 men in the church. That's a big church. And they were keeping track. Do you know that in the New Testament, there's, there's teaching about keeping a written record of the names of widows in your church? It's all kinds of examples when you look at the little details that we ignore in Scripture that the the local church knew who was part of it. They kept track. And I'm saying this because sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, all that matters is you're saved and going to heaven. The the church is okay, but that's not a big deal. You don't have to be a member. You don't, it doesn't, where do you find that? Where do you find that anywhere in the Bible? You don't. So many more examples, but I, but I got to rush because I'm out of time. The Greek word that is commonly translated church in, in our New Testament is the word ekklesia. It's a very common word in Greek culture, Greek society. It literally means you're called out to join to become part of a group. And in in Greek culture, it was used of a religious group or a secular group. The early Christians used that well-known Greek word to describe a local church. You'll find ecclesia used about 100 times in the Greek New Testament referring to a local church. Think about your Bible. Think about your New Testament. These books were originally letters written by men inspired by the Holy Spirit of God written to either individuals, a local church, or a group of local church in a specific region. There is not one book, not one letter in the New Testament written to the invisible universal church. Not one. Now, each of these is for us for the universal church but they're written to individuals or local churches Romans written to the church in Rome 1st 2nd Corinthians to the church in the city of Corinth actually they mention a third letter Paul wrote them that's not in our Bible Galatians written to a group of local churches in the province the Romans called Galatia which would be in modern south central Turkey Ephesians to the local church in the city of Ephesus. Colossians to the local church in the city of Colossae. And in Colossians, Paul tells them, now when you finish reading this letter, see to it that it's also read in the local church over in Laodicea. Kind of like going over to York. And then Paul says, by the way, I sent a letter to the church in Laodicea. When they finish with it, I want you all to read it in your church too. First, second Thessalonians, written to the church in the city of Thessalonica. Even Revelation. 
in chapters 2 and 3 written to seven local churches in what today would be western Turkey. Now that's the biblical pattern. That's the New Testament pattern. It's in community we experience fellowship encouragement and inspiration we give care to others and receive care from others it's in relationships in the context of community in a local chair where there is accountability and correction because listen when you try to live for Christ in isolation you might go off the crazy deep end sometimes and you need some people to yank your chain That's part of the role and responsibility of the local church. Growth. Growth happens best in relationships. I'm talking about your personal development, your spiritual development. This beautiful young couple down here getting ready to go to Pittsburgh. Do you know they will grow more as a man and a woman through the give and take of their relationship as they help each other you know, smooth off the rough edges, they will grow more that way than they ever would alone. The same thing is true in your spiritual life. You've got to have a commitment to stick. A commitment to work through stuff. Because if you keep running from relationships and you keep running from the local church and you try to do all this so-called spiritual stuff on your own, every time there's sin in your life and there's a rough edge in your life, guess what you'll do? You'll run somewhere where nobody will ever make you have to deal with it. Growth. God has designed the church because that is essential to maximizing our development, our growth for so many reasons. Can I learn some things studying by myself? Can I learn some things watching videos? Yes, but I will never be the disciple Jesus saved me to be if I don't exist in the community of a local church church I'll always be warped in some way that's just how it is and by the way you do know that when you get to heaven you're not going to be alone I just thought I'd throw that in for free and when you're a part of a church you're committed what's your responsibility to be faithful to serve to support, to grow, to be godly and bring honor to Christ and the church. So I ask you again, have you repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ? Are you his follower? And if you have, have you been baptized as a believer by immersion? And I ask you now, are you committed to a local church? Are you a member of a local church? And I'm going to invite you to join this church.